believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So we're called to love our enemies. We can't love our enemies the way God wants us to. But we're told in Romans chapter 5 that through the Holy Spirit, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So going back to Galatians 5, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, that as we're abiding in Christ, as we're a Spirit-filled woman and a Spirit-filled man, God's love is working. God's love is at work. And that phileo love of Woodrow Wilson has its limits. No matter how much you love humanity, it has its limits. We need the love of the cross, the agape love, the supernatural love of the Holy Spirit producing Christ in us to love our enemies. So isn't it good to know that we're not like the French trying to forgive the Germans or the Belgians trying to forgive the Germans for what they did to their property and all their cities and the, million, the hundreds of thousands of innocent people they killed in World War I? Aren't you glad that we're not trying to do that as philanthropists? Forgive them for burning our homes, taking our livestock and everything? shooting our relatives in the city square? Like, aren't you glad you weren't Belgium in 1915 and 16? Because you're a philanthropist. How do you forgive them? If your phileo love is all you have to forgive the Germans, the Huns, for what they did, how's that going to work? But if you're born again and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you have agape love, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So now we're like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II when he's going to be hung and he loves and forgives the German. He was a German that loved Germany. And he was hung because he's part of the Valkyrie and the conspiracy to kill Hitler. It was a lesser of two evils in their world to try and stop the madness. But he taught a Bible study from Isaiah. And they hung him just a few weeks before the war was over, before the U.S., the Soviets, and Americans came on Berlin. But he loved and forgave those, those Nazis and what they did to him. See, that's not phileo. That's agape. That's how we do this. That's how we roll. We're the kingdom. We're not Woodrow Wilson trying to fix the world. We're disciples of Jesus Christ with the power of heaven to forgive our enemies. There's there's a limit to what Woodrow Wilson can do with the League of Nations. There's no limit to what Christ can do through us in forgiving our enemies. For the love of God is without boundary and without limit, and he's been shed abroad in our hearts. So all we have to do is abide in Christ, and that will come forth as we look at our enemies. So we love our enemies. We bless those who curse us. It's always hard when people curse you. It's just the way it is. But sometimes you get cursed just even when you're trying to follow and obey the rules and be the best person at work. You still get cursed. And you're the fall, you're the scapegoat, like Jesus is the scapegoat. And you get cursed. And sometimes no matter how good of a job you do, you're like Cinderella. It's never good enough for the stepmom and the stepsisters because they hate you. So you get cursed. The people curse you and they, they curse you for this and they curse you for that. 
you get cursed. And when people say words that curse you, that's very, that's hard. Sometimes they curse you behind your back. Sometimes you don't even know why, what they're cursing you for. You know, being in ministry where you do weddings and, and funerals, I can't tell you how many times people can't come to the wedding together because they curse each other. And there's so much hardness of heart. And you curse people long enough, you, you bring curses on everybody, on yourself most of all. Because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But those who sow discord, the Lord hates. Let me say it again. In Proverbs, it says seven things, six things, a seven Lord hates. One of them is those who sow discord among brethren. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So if there's any cursing going on, don't let it be you. Let it be someone against you. And they might just curse you because you're a follower of Christ. They might curse you because they don't like you. But what are you going to do? Someone might curse you because you've got the position, and they don't. It's that simple. Think in high school. You get to go to the prom with the quarterback or the senior or the, the handsome guy, or you get the bella to the ball, and, and people curse you and hate you, and all the slander goes against you because, just because that was you. You're a princess the junior year, and they weren't. And they've hated you since third grade, right there in MCA. It's been building, 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 and here it is your junior year. Let it rip. It's all out in the open now. We're just getting ready for adulthood. Right? Don't be the cursor. It says, bless them. So you got to kind of get Pentecostal here. Father, I'm pronouncing a blessing upon them. I want you to bless them, Father. Amen. I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them in Jesus' name. That's what we do. You know, John Corson's a big blessing person, if you know John Corson. Bless you, Joey. Bless your rabbit. He lived in our neighborhood when we first moved to Coast Mesa 20 years ago. I've told you this. He'd walk through our neighborhood with his bare feet and his Bible and a cup of coffee. And he'd come down our street. He'd be like, oh, Lord, bless Joey. Bless him, Lord. And he'd just go through the neighborhood pronouncing blessings. I'm like, (laughs) right? Be a blesser. When they curse you, bless them. When when you curse people, there's no good thing that's going to come of it for your life. You're killing yourself. You're killing yourself from within. Because God will never honor that. Which brings us to the third thing. Do good to those who hate you. So we need to do good. So now we've, we love unconditionally. We, we bless when we're cursed. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. Work through it. Bless them. And then do good. So now we have actions. Okay, so the disposition is to love unconditionally your enemies. And then... It's to speak blessings upon them, and then it's to do good. Now we have action. So like it's a, it's, you're like at work, and you're like in the fire, firehouse, and this guy's just riding you, riding you, riding you, and just sowing discord against you from you with other people because you go to Calvary Chapel or Vineyard or whatever, and they just don't like Christians, and you're evil, and you know, you're an extremist, and the whole world's wrecked because of you, and they're just going to ruin you in the fire department. That's what they want to do. That's who they are. That's just the way they are. The police department, whatever it is, wherever you work. At the PTA, in the school, the local elementary school in Costa Mesa, that's what they're doing. 
And you work with them every day. And what you need to do is do good for them. Do good for them. When they're about to get blindsided, pick up the blindside block and lay a block for them. Do good for them. See, if we're linear and we're the French and the Germans <laughs> at the League of Nations trying to resolve this war that never was resolved at that time, we're already plotting what we're going to do to get even. We're Woodrow Wilson trying to bring world peace to these people. But if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we're, we're rebuilding the villages that were destroyed. Which is what America did, actually, too, by the way. What a great country, you know? We go in and build and clean up things that other people destroy. That's the history of America. But we do good. We do good. There's action. So listen very carefully. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is loving our enemies. This is action. Doing good is action. Doing good involves time. It involves energy. It involves vision to take the initiative and do it. To do good. The Lord can guide us what that is. Family disputes, work disputes, community disputes, national disputes, to do good. And then the fourth thing is, so we get the action, so we have the disposition of love, we have the words of bless. we pronounce blessings, then we have the action of doing good, and the ultimate thing is we pray for those who spitefully use us. It really is like Cinderella praying for her stepmother in Cinderella and her stepsisters. We pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Now, again, the context most likely is persecution for Jesus' namesake, but we can be persecuted for righteousness' sake. There can be people where you work, if they just know that you're pro-life and you think it's a good idea to save babies, they'll hate your guts. They will hate your guts. And they think it's a really good thing for government to abort babies and they'll hate your guts because you're opposed to that. And you know what? You're not going to change their thinking. Not linear, not Woodrow Wilson with the Huns or the French. But what you're going to do is you're going to pray for them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them and we're going to move mountains of deceit and hardness from their hearts. I say it fairly often. The first book I read as a Christian was Effective Prayer Life, Pastor Chubb, 1987. And I took it at face value where he said, you can change the world from your prayer closet. And all I ever prayed for was good surf, thanking for food, and hoping I win. <laughs> Those are good prayers. <laughs> Surf's good, I win. <laughs> Thanks for the tacos, you know. Like, it was a pretty, pretty simple worldview. But as I was going in my faith, obviously it got much more expanded than that. And that's what we do. We're, we pray for things all over the world. We pray in our community, we pray for the world. And that's where we change things. We do pray for our government officials. And the more you can pray for those that are over us that we disagree with, the more likely we'll have empathy on them and their positions and what they're called to do. And you think, well, they, 
Because you're probably like me, and your initial thought is, they brought it on themselves. Like, you know, we do this with people at work. We do this with people in our family. Like, well, you know, that's, that's my sibling, and that's what they do. They brought it on themselves. They brought this on themselves. Or, you know, the boss, like, we tried to reason with him. He would not let a dissenting opinion exist. He was cancel culture in the workplace. We tried to stop him. And he brought this on himself, and now we're all without a job. Right? Like, this, we, we, we think like that. So when people train wreck their life or some evil comes upon them, because if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, and you see it, and you think, well, you brought it on yourself. That is the first thought, I think, that we get a lot of times. So you open casinos and you shut churches, then you get recalled. Well, then, you know, like, you, my thought is you brought it on yourself. That's what you, you know, like, that's what you're fighting God. But if you pray for those people, then you realize, you know, they're still people. And that's their whole world. That's their whole identity. And they're being publicly humiliated. And you say, well, they brought it on themselves. Yeah, but I never like public humiliation. Do you like public humiliation? Some people don't even do any social media because they're just like, they don't want to be seen, right? Like, like, like it's like, Lucas Timmerman gave me a book, How to Disappear. Because he's a private investigator. He, has, he goes deep web, dark web access. He works government, high, high level access. And he gave me the book, How to Disappear. When we had check fraud, card fraud, bank fraud. We had all this stuff come against us and he gave me this book like, here's how to disappear. Like just aliases and all this stuff. But I'm not going to disappear. You can burn me at the stake, but I'm not going to disappear. I'm not going to disappear until I'm out of here. But you understand that because you're a target. We need to pray for people and see them the way God sees them. And when someone really is against you or your worldview or what you stand for, it, that's all the more important at that time that you really pour on the prayers and pray for people. Do you ever, when you look at Jesus and his interactions with people, whether it's the religious leaders, Caiaphas, the high priest, or Judas, or any of them, Zacchaeus in the tree, you, you get the feeling that he, he just really could see them who they were, like see into their soul. That's why I like the, t- the TV show The Chosen, even though it takes, like, liberties on, like, you know, speculative things, I like the concept that Jesus just looks at people and just like, well, Peter, like, he's just looking right through you. And Jesus looked right through everybody. Because it says in the New Testament, and he, knowing their heart, said, what's this easier to do? To say, your sins are forgiven or pick up your bed and walk. He, knowing the thoughts of their hearts. So we pray, and that's how we work through it. And we've talked about this with forgiveness. Just when you forgive these people for this thing, there is a new thing. It's like the video game. There's layers, and it's a new level of a video game, a new level to forgive people at. But the grace of God's always there, and it's all the more we need to pray. We need to pray and pray for those people and let that go. There, there can be things that are so ugly at work and so ugly with family when you get older. The ugliest things imaginable. And you have to just get on your knees and pray for people who come against you. You have to labor for them in prayer and fight the good fight for them. And the rewards will be in heaven. And you might not change them at all in time. You may never see them change in time. But how could any prayer in Jesus' name to the benefit of someone else that's persecuting you to pray for them, how could that ever not be good fruit for eternity? Of course it's good fruit for eternity. It's good fruit for your soul too. Because who wants to be in assisted living or health care, you know, like the mental stuff and 
be filled with bitterness. At 60, that's my worst fear, is to be a little fuzzy at 90 and have bitterness in my heart toward anybody or anything. That, that's just, that's a, that's a bad, that's just, I, I don't want to, boo, man, avoid that. Forgive him now. Pray for him now. Let it go. Move forward. Yeah, there's a new thing. Pray about it. Forgive it. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So we see these big four. Love your enemies. Bless. Do good. And pray. And again, one's a disposition. One is word spoken. One is action lived. But the other one is moving things in the eternal and spiritual realm. That's what prayer is doing. You're fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons when we're praying. That's what we're doing. So the prayer really kind of seals everything else because you pronounce the blessings and you do good, but it's the prayer that really brings the supernatural power behind what we're doing in Jesus' name to be his disciples in that situation. These are the words of Jesus. And he said in doing so, in doing these four things, you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then he said in verse 48, you shall be perfect or mature and complete as your father in heaven. So notice, this is kingdom culture. There's the culture of Adam and Eve and humanity and phileo and all that, this linear thing. But this is kingdom culture. This is higher. This is deeper. This is multidimensional because it's the father in heaven. So when we think about adoption, and we have had many, there are many adopted kids that have been a part of this church in 16 years for sure. I've been to when Nathan Frisbee became a member of the Frisbee family, and he became Frisbee in his last name, Nathan, who you see here. I went to that proceeding at the Orange County Courthouse. I'll never forget it. And it was legal and binding, and it's like they had fostered him for a while, and but I was there. I watched it happen legally. This Son, this beautiful kid that we see around here all the time after service, we've watched him grow up in the last five, six years here. I was there when he was adopted into the Frisbee family. And he went from a culture of what his life was before then to the culture of the Frisbee family with Garrett and Jacqueline. And then other adopted children came in, and he has the, the sisters, Haley and Jade. This is his family. He became part of this family. And he has a father, Garrett Frisbee, who's, of course, a great father. And this is the family. That's us. Because Romans 8 tells us when we give our life to Christ, we've passed from death to life, and we've been adopted into the family. And we become joint heirs with Christ. So it's like we're Nathan, and God is the father in the courtroom, and we're now into the family, we're adopted, and then we become joint heirs, and so the trust and the estate and the will, it's all there, and Nathan comes in fully into that, and we come fully into that, because we're now fully in the trust and in the estate, because Romans 8 tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ of all the riches and glories of all the next dimension. So we've gone from outside the covenant, outside the family, outside the kingdom, to we're in the kingdom, we're disciples, and now we're in the heavenly trust, the heavenly estate, the heavenly estate, and our heavenly father is over that, and father knows best. And now we have a new culture. We don't have the culture of Adam, we have the culture of second Adam, Jesus Christ. We don't have the culture of Eve, we have the culture of the daughters of the king. That's what we have. And this 
this house, in my father's house are many mansions, if not so I would have told you, John 14, there's a culture. When people come to visit you and stay at your house overnight for a couple days, they, they get a feel for your family. Or how you do things. This is how we roll. This is the culture. This is the family. This is the tribe. Ours is the heavenly tribe. And this is the character of the Father. This is the Father. Because Jesus always does those things that please the Father. And he has revealed to us the will of the Father. So what we just read, these four things, we're equipped to do and we're called to do. Because we don't live in the other house with the other family. We live in the king's family. We're the kingdom. Our citizenship's in heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ. And we are children of our heavenly father. We're joint heirs with Christ. So there's a higher expectation. In studying all the European monarchies, it's just so fascinating to me how you, know, you get these heirs and you teach them French and Russian and English and Prussian and all these languages. You, you teach them musical instruments, you know, art, poetry, all these things. And you, they would, these, these sons, these grandsons that would become heirs, whether it was the, you know, the Prussian kings like Frederick the Great or Louis the Sun King in France and the successor kings before the French Revolution or all those kings and queens of England, you would, you would be, you would be, I mean, Queen Victoria had all those grandkids and they're all cultured and they were raised certain ways with a certain culture to lead and how you carry yourself, the etiquette, diplomacy, Tolerance, these sorts of things. That's what you did. I love watching movies about Asia because most Asian cultures are very family oriented and the respect of the family is critical. Like you're of the Fa family. This has been, you know, like Mulan is the Fa family, right? Like if you know Mulan, and, but whether it's Korean or, or, or Chinese or Japanese, it's, you know, this has been the family business for 400 years and you are in the family. And this is the way we've conducted ourselves in Osaka, in Yokohama. This is how it is. And it's a culture. Now, some cultures aren't that strong and don't have that kind of identity or aren't proud of that. But in Asian culture, obviously, it's very strong that way. So as I look at this, what Jesus is saying is that we are sons of the Father, sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. Ours is a different culture. We're, we're being, really, we're like the, the, the princes and princesses of those great monarchs of time past. Because we're told we're going to rule and reign with Christ. So even now, as we obey the Lord and show discipleship and fulfill the Great Commission and let Christ work in us the hope of glory, we are being prepared to rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. That's what we're going to do. So we're like little monarchs. We're like little heirs to the throne being trained by the Holy Spirit with these four things to be prepared to rule and reign in eternity. And we might not like 16 hours of education like Prince William didn't like or Prince Peter when he, before he was Peter the Great. But you still got to get it. Because someday you are going to rule and reign all of Russia or all of Prussia or Queen Victoria, all of England or William the Kaiser, all of Germany. And so God is preparing us to be the character of the culture for when that day comes in the, in the dimension of eternity. So we got to get it right now. This is because he says we are children of the Father. And then he says to be complete like the Father. We represent the Father. That's that diplomacy. That's that ambassador. We represent that kingdom. We're the kingdom culture. 
and we represent it. So if we're just like a tax collector or a ballroom brawler or whatever you want to say for verses 46 and 47, because I close with this thought. For if you love those who love you, well, what's that to you? If you only love Team USA and everyone else is part of Team USA, what's that to you? Of course everyone loves Team USA. It's the Olympics and the USA is winning gold medals. If you only love who you love because you have something common phileo with them, what good is that to you? What word, what word did you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? People are tribal. They, they form tribes. In prison, in homelessness, they form tribes. Lepers form tribes. If you greet only your brethren, what, what's that to you? Do not even tax collectors do so? See, the key thought is, your father in heaven is complete. Therefore, you shall be complete as your father in heaven is complete. But think of yourself as a princess and a prince being prepared for the kingdom. Because this is kingdom character. This is kingdom culture. And if we're just going to live a, a, a linear, mundane life apart from faith in Christ... This wouldn't apply to us, but ours is the greatest calling in the universe, disciples of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.